podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. We might be. We could be. I think we are. Fuck it. We are doing it live. Live, ladies and gentlemen, here on the I'm No Joe channel. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the I'm No Joe podcast, the show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, as like most days, I have got a panel full of fine young folk here to go over the shenaniganry and the fuckery afoot in the world of MMA and combat sports. Before we get too deep into it, Let's take a quick second, we will go around and welcome these gracious folks willing to come and shit talk shenaniganry with me here. First and foremost, the man, the myth, the legend, the one and the only, Ned Divine is here. What are you doing, buddy? What's up, everybody? Glad to be here. Let's, yeah, let's get this party started. Hell yeah, I'm all hopped up on Mountain Dew. <laughs> Glad to have you back, sir. And then... As is the case most times on this show across the octagon from me, my cohort in combat sports, my Wednesday night brother from another mother, the one and only Golf Tee Vapes. How you doing, sir? Doing fucking excellent. Excited about this weekend. And actually, we got two bangers a weekend just back to back this week. So I'm, yeah. I'm just excited of what's coming up here in the next couple of weeks. We're into that phase of the year, yeah. 
Yeah, and we're one month closer to International Fight Week where shit really gets crazy, so I'm happy. <sighs> Shit's looking up. It's really looking up this year, there. and I like it. We are definitely building a very nice 2020 for the world of combat sports so far. I'm very pleased with how things are turning out, and I, I think we've got a, uh, a very nice year to look forward to. Um, now, before we get into anything combat sports, um, I do want to take just a moment here aside, because it's been told to me by folks smarter than myself to help keep people informed on where they can find this shit, not to wait till the end like I normally do, but to take a second as soon as we get done with our intro shit and tell folks where they can find more of this for the folks who are only going to listen to the first 10 minutes anyway. So if you want to find more I'm No Joe content, you can go, I'm No Joe is on Facebook, I'm No Joe is on Instagram, I'm No Joe is on Mixer, we have an I'm No Joe Patreon, we also have an all audio version, so if you don't want to deal with these Instagram influencer faces we've got on the show here every time, if it's too distracting for you, I get it, you can catch it in all audio form, anchor.fm slash, you guessed it, I'm No Joe. So anywhere you are looking for more I'm No Joe content, you can find it pretty much at I'm no Joe on whatever social media platform you're looking for. So, that out of the way. Coming into this week's episode here, we had so much shit avalanching into the news. And, and more than just the combat sports world. The, before we even jump into the combat sports stuff, I want to take just a moment here and, and hats off to the, uh, the, the gracious San Francisco 49ers who put up a valiant effort last weekend during the superb owl uh, but unfortunately it was not enough to stop the fucking chiefs and kansas city has won the super bowl now i generally try not to make this too much about me this is a show about sports in general but i have to take just a moment here to say as a fan of sports not just combat sports not just mma of sports in general i feel very very lucky that as of this weekend, I have had a, a feat happen that not many sports fans get to experience in their lives. For the most part, I am generally a fan of the underdog when it comes to sports. I like seeing the guy nobody expects to win come from behind and just snatch the victory from the cocky asshole who's expected to just cakewalk through it. So I generally like rooting for the underdogs. I'm a Cubs fan. I'm a fucking Chicago Cubs fan. 106 years since they took a championship. I saw them win the fucking World Series and I cried like a baby. Conor McGregor became the first ever UFC champ champ. I didn't cry, but it was fucking awesome because I'm a Conor McGregor fan. And then this weekend, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes led the Kansas City Chiefs to their first Super Bowl victory in 50 fucking years. I guess the, the point of this is that Fairweather fans are nice, but when you stick with a franchise, when you stick with who you support, good times and bad, everybody can get one once in a while. And this weekend, uh, I got one of those moments where it's just 
the team that I've been following through good times and bad caught our fucking lucky break and we won ourselves a damn Super Bowl. And unfortunately, due to the extreme sorrow it has caused, we are not going to have our regular Fresh 03 interventions this evening. He is mourning the loss of his dear 49ers and regretting the decision to make a bet against me on the Super Bowl. So we we do uh, want to give our buddy Fresh here a, a shout out. And we're thinking about you, buddy. And feel better. We love you. But that all aside... Let's jump into some punchy, kicky shit, goddammit. So, as we like to do around here, we want to start the show right off up at the tippy top with a thing we like to call news and recent events. Uh, this is all of the MMA, combat sports, shenanigans, shit-talking, fight announcements, all the spiels of interesting fight world stuff that has happened since the last time we saw you wonderful folks. Um, interesting one... And I, I use the word interesting because I don't really have a better word to describe this fucking fight that they announced uh, a couple days ago. Uh, Bellator 243, the 205-pound division. Ryan Bader will fight Nemkov for the belt. March 24th. Is that the 24th? I think that's the 24th. Don't quote me on that. In March. Bellator 243. Uh, but Nemkov is no slouch, but I feel like ever since Bader got that double champ status in Bellator, they're really putting a lot of their eggs in his basket. Yeah. Um, they really need to change their outlook on that. Look, the double champ thing is great because it's great for your promotion. Right. It's great for everybody else to see because, I mean, look, UFC basically kicked all that shit off to start making, in fact, not the UFC, Conor McGregor kicked all that shit off to be double champ at the same time type shit. And everybody else has fallen in the soup, but some of these smaller promotions, you can't put all your eggs in one basket like that. Don't get me wrong. I'm Bader's done fucking amazing things over there, but, uh, namely because he's had access to better supplements now that he's not in the UFC anymore. Unless rigorous uh, testing. You know, I'm just saying. But um, either way, they, they need to keep those divisions moving, and I don't think they're moving fast enough with him over there now. Um, they were they were having a better they were having better fights when there was two individual champs, and we were getting we were getting better fights overall that way. Don't get me wrong, he earned them. You, you can't fault a man for earning titles, but at the same time. You got to make him defend a little more often than what he's doing right now. It seems it's a little few and far between for him. It is for what I would like to see holding two divisions. And I agree. Look at look at even let's say for example right now the Linus holding two of them, but she's been going back and forth defense after defense between the divisions and not holding anything up. Bader on the other hand, he's holding shit up. Right. Well, and the really shitty part about a situation like this is that it forces us to do one of the most painful things that you can do as a hardcore MMA fan, and that's admit that Dana White was correct and that sometimes double champs really do just logjam two divisions because it's really difficult to keep a champion healthy enough to defend two divisions. One division is legitimately hard enough. I mean, Stipe's out right now, and the whole heavyweight division is getting kind of crazy, so look at that on Bellator, and you got him covering 205 and heavyweight, yeah, that's really bad. Look at the guys who get injured the most in a lot of those fights. 
usually in the heavyweight. Why? Because they hit and kick harder. So even if you win the fight, you're probably coming out of there injured somehow unless you get that lucky early early round one knockout. Yep. So it's going to be interesting to see how this shakes out, especially with... uh, Ironically, over on Bellator, we're seeing a thing that we kind of have been hoping to see over here in UFC, but we really haven't so far. Um, to a lesser degree on the smaller sides, but a lot of Bellator's 205 guys are making the jump and going up to heavyweight. My man LDV is a prime example. He was a light heavyweight for a long time and a serious contender at light heavyweight, and since he's gone up to heavyweight, he just beat the shit out of uh, Nutbuster McGee himself, flattened him out and beat the fuck out of him in the middle of the canvas. So a lot of Bellator's 205 guys are going up. It's going to be interesting to see how Bellator's bigger divisions start to, to shake out here as we get a lot more movement over there. Um, but back on the UFC side of the house, an interesting matchup that I saw. I can't really say it's one that I, I would call something I, I would be an ideal fight really. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it shakes out just because both of these guys have bounced around the division so much lately. Um, Anthony Lionheart Smith versus Glover Tejera at UFC Lincoln, Nebraska, April 25th. I don't know, man. I'm, we really haven't seen Anthony Smith get a chance to shine like he did before he fought Jones since his fight with Jones. And I think as rough as it is to say, I think Glover's at that point in his career on that tail end slide that I think this might be one of those moments where if Anthony Smith really does still have it in him, this is where we're going to get to see it. Because as much as I love Glover, and if you're a hardcore fan, you kind of got to love Glover Tajira, but he's turning really, really quickly into a soup can. And this might be the uh, opportunity, I guess would be the word that Anthony Smith needs to kind of turn it around and, and put a spotlight on his momentum going back forward again, even if it might cost Tejera a, a little sleepy time, which I kind of feel like it might. Uh, but it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out as well. Um, April 18th, UFC 249. Uh, prospectively, because we've seen and heard this before, prospectively, Khabib versus Tony for the 155 belt. Just got a very interesting new fight on the main card, they're saying. Uh, Lil Heathen Stevens versus Calvin Cater. That's an interesting matchup. That's a very interesting matchup for a couple of different reasons. But I think more than anything, that kind of symbolizes the UFC really leaning more into this old guard versus the new guard shit. Like, some of these younger guys like Calvin Cater have had enough of a chance to try and establish themselves. He had a main event against the beat, so it's time to start, you know, throwing him in against the regular grind of the UFC rankings, and Jeremy Stevens would be a damn good test for him, I think. It's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. Um, two interesting episodes of uh, the Joe Rogan experience over the last week, the MMA versions uh, of his Joe Rogan experience episodes Frankie Edgar went on and did a, uh, a decent little episode here, but revealed some interesting and a little un, little bit unnerving information about the, the cost of being an MMA fighter for a living, talking about how he's got multiple fights where he remembers walking to the ring, and then he remembers being in the car going home and nothing in between. There's 
events where he says he remembers leaving the ring after the fight and then the next three days are a blank or the next two days are a blank like he's got chunks of time missing he'll do things in a fight and then literally come to as the bell rings and the round ends the coach is asking him what the hell happened and he doesn't remember just being in that fight like these are early cte signals like this is the cost of fighting for a living like you pay the price with your body and with your mind the, the monetary gain means nothing in the grand scheme of things if your body and your mind are destroyed in the process. And as, as painful as it is to reference, Muhammad Ali is a perfect example of that. That man helped define boxing and literally put combat sports on the everyday map for the average Joe across the country. And at the end, we saw the toll that it took on his body and his mind, sadly. And is as weird as it is to see this early on, it really, really kind of makes you think that Frankie might be starting to head down that path. If you look back at all the fucking wars that Frankie Edgar has been in in his career, and now he's still as determined as ever, but now he's going down in weight to 135. He said he's set in stone. He's going to bantamweight. Like, this is the point where being a fan of MMA and being a, a fellow concerned human being becomes very conflicting because on one hand, as a fight fan, you love seeing great fights. On the other hand, as a real human being, I don't want to see another man turn into a mumbling slouch of a human being just so that I can get 20 minutes of enjoyment watching him and somebody else punch at each other. There's plenty of other ways. That's It's not required. But with a guy like Frankie Edgar, you're not talking him out of it either. So... It's, it's the weird conflict that you face as, as a combat sports fan, I feel. Thinking of that's part of that. We're always talking about when to hang them up. Yeah, exactly. When you realize, when you just, I don't, I hope somebody points that out to him that he stated it live on Joe Rogan's fucking MMA podcast and yeah. says, hey, you know, maybe this is time to step away. Look, He's done a lot of great things for the sport. Fuck yeah. He's Fuck gone yeah. the distance, fucking had some of the most memorable fights there ever is. <laughs> Between him and the Gray Maynard fights. Yeah, those absolutely. Some of the greatest wars you'll ever see. It, there's a point where you got to know, hey, it's time to hang him up. But going down a weight class at this point, you're like, maybe it's he thinks they don't hit as hard down there. Well, he was saying he feels like because at 55, he was always a smaller guy. And that's that's undeniable. Like, even in the Gray Maynard fights were a great representation. Like, he was the smaller guy in most of the oh, fights yeah. he's been in in his career. But then you look at, like, him versus Korean Zombie wasn't that big of a, a size differential. But even then, the Zombie looked huge compared to Frankie Edgar. So you, you got to kind of understand to a certain degree his point of view. If he cuts down one more class and he does it properly, and he adjusts his body, and he does it right, he would be the same size or bigger than the guys he's fighting for the first time in his career. I could give him a leg up. And at the yeah. later stage of your career, I guess any leg up is a good thing. And when I say later end of his career, he hasn't really fallen off a lot. I, I, like you see a lot of fighters that have fought as long as he has. A lot of them have really tailed off. Look. Yeah, he got laid waste to by the Korean Zombie, but he took that fight on super short notice, was not prepared the way he could have been. Right. Fighting. So I, my hat's off to him, but he got destroyed. 
that unfortunately that's part of that business of being a company man too that's, yep. I mean, ask cowboy yeah him and cowboy those two are the biggest company men there have been in the fucking ufc period yeah and oh, they both need somebody that to step same in? price too yeah Hopefully it's hopefully he does well moving forward and hangs him up before he's completely brain dead. It's got to be a money thing too. It's got. I know they say I just love the fight and stuff, but it's got to be a money thing. Well, and that's actually one of the things that I I learned from last week um, because we we had two. JRE episodes that I'm talking about for this week. There was one also last week that I didn't put in the notes here, but I will give proper mention to. He actually had Josh Thompson on just before Josh Thompson actually announced his retirement from MMA. And I, I kind of feel like the conversation he had with Joe had a small part to play in that because even Josh Thompson was talking about that same thing. Like when I was a superstar fighting for the UFC or even fighting for Bellator, I made, an, I made as much in one fight as I do in an entire year running four very successful businesses. And it's a lot more work to run all these businesses and manage all my employees than it was to just train for one fight a year. So, you know, it's one of those situations where, especially the guys that were top tier, like Frankie was, they make good fucking money when they get these big fights. And then when they're out or when that prospect starts to look like it's not going to be there anymore... Like, I, I can kind of understand the money being a, a scary fucking factor when it gets to that point. Yeah. Um, the other one, though, the other one from this week, anyway, um, Kamaru Usman actually went on Rogan again for the second time that no one asked for, really. Um, and surprise, fucking surprise, basically spent his entire time on JRE either bitching about Jorge Masvidal, talking shit about Jorge Masvidal, or bragging about how well he thought he did against Colby and how he believes that he's the greatest welterweight the UFC has ever seen. And started talking about all the dream fights he's got against the greats that he feels he would match up so well against. And Marty from Nebraska needs to chill the fuck out because, ironically enough, the day after he went out there and talked all that shit on Rogan, uh, Dana went on the ESPN radio uh, experience that they, I don't forget what the name of it is, and uh, they also put it on the ESPN MMA YouTube page. He said flat out, uh, the next fight for Kamaru Usman is Jorge Masvidal during International Fight Week in July. Um, it is official, it is the next fight. Uh, he said the contracts have been signed, they are just, you know, waiting to, to set up the posters and get the pictures and all that good shit set up. So, I think... I think it's going to be real interesting to see where 170 goes as well. Champ, champ status for her. Oh, street Jesus. I mean, he would technically be holding two belts. So I think that would make him a champ champ as far as technicalities go. And being technically right is the best kind of right. So that's right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> there is that to be said. Um, no, another interesting little piece of news here uh, that we learned after uh, the previous show talking about the Bellator and UFC cards and now coming into the follow-up press, as it were, the post-fights and the, the press they do after the fights. Um, we learned a little bit from the fucking spectacular victory that we talked about on the last, what did I say, show? Um, from 
the more talented brother, as we believe, of the two Pettis, Sergio Pettis, who had a fucking spectacular victory. Um, but he started talking about how it was a little different to prepare for this fight because Bellator does not have a 125-pound division. They only have 135 and up, which is the reason that we didn't see him coming in at 125 over on the Bellator side, but that's where he fought at UFC. So he talked about how it, it made a difference because it forced him up a weight class, and he made that decision consciously when he signed with them, but that he said it was an actual easier cut for him because Sergio Pettis walks around at 170 pounds and was cutting to 125 to fight as well as he was. That's a big fucking cut for a dude who's, I think, 5'3"? 5'3", 5'4"? He's a little guy. He's a yoked little motherfucker. (laughs) That, I thought, was just fucking crazy because we talk about weight cutting all the time and that there are it's never ideal but there are certain quote unquote safe ranges that you can weight cut especially when you're doing it by water loading and then just sweating the water back out to dehydrate excuse me dehydrate yourself to a quote unquote normal status or more balanced status a certain amount of that they have deemed quote unquote healthy because it can be done safely but when you talk about a guy who walks around at 170 pounds, cutting down to 125 pounds to fight, that's crazy. That's fucking crazy. I'm wondering how much of that he actually loses in the last week, though. Because I know yeah, a lot of the, people in the camp they the last a lot. Week, But I'm guessing during camp, he's probably slowly cutting himself down throughout the camp, so he's not having a complete fucking... Yeah. Shit show, cyborg looking, skeletal looking ass type thing. Yeah, it'll it'll be it'll be interesting to see how he does at thirty five now, knowing that he's got that big of a cut from his normal walk around. And then, you know, here we're taking ten pounds off of that, which if you're used to cutting hard, cutting less is always good. Look at what we saw, you know, two weeks ago with Connor and Cowboy both. Both of those guys look fucking spectacular on the scale. Um, obviously, Connor performed a little better in the ring than Cowboy, but, you know, sometimes cutting less weight makes a big fucking difference. So, we'll see We'll see how Sergio does at 35 over there. Uh, speaking of the over-there side of the house, um, interesting fight announcement for Bellator 241 happening on March 13th. Saba Hamasi... Versus Paul Daly. That is going to be a spectacular matchup. Those two gentlemen have some of the most dangerous hands in the Bellator organization as a whole. I, I still to this day, I agree 100% with Rogan that I think Daly could have done a lot more in the UFC. But, you know, things fell the way that they fell. And here we are talking about him over on Bellator but at least this time when we're talking about Paul Daly, it's because he's getting back in the ring to fight and not because he's getting kicked off the microphone for talking shit about MVP like the rest of us do. But good for Paul Daly. I'm very curious to see how that fight comes out because that's going to be a fucking Strikers special. Um, I talked about this a little bit on the What Did I Say show, and I have to mention it again because it has come back into the fucking news as aggravating as it is. Um... After UFC 246, when the whole event was done and ESPN was doing their little recap finale deal, 
they brought in Stephen A. Smith and another gentleman whose name escapes me at the moment, who are other ESPN sports commentators to kind of try and do a little cross-promotion. And Stephen A. Smith talked out his ass. He said he was disappointed in what he saw because he thought that Cowboy quit in the ring, which I could do an entire episode on how wrong and fucking ridiculous that statement unto itself is. But I digress. Since then, and well, to be fair, immediately Joe Rogan made one of the most beautiful, what the fuck did you just say, faces I've ever seen in the world, and then proceeded to very politely try and explain to him how wrong he was and that he was out of his element here. Uh, Donnie just wouldn't mark it a zero, though. And now, this week, despite getting criticism from everyone in the fucking world, aside from Nate Diaz, who is actually sticking up for Stephen A. Smith, go figure, um, Stephen A. Smith has twofold fucked himself even worse. He, first and foremost, shortly after that, released a video of himself they call it training, and I'm going to use air quotes, and I'm using the word training very, very sparingly. I encourage you to go to Josh Thompson's Instagram page. He reposted the video for the world to see. Uh, dick punch, head punch, dick punch, head punch. You'll get it. Um, but after that, this fucking fool doubled down and said that he respects Conor McGregor, but stands by his decision that he completely feels that despite the warrior that he is, Donald Cerrone quit, and he did it in an embarrassing fashion, and it was a bad example for the, the something about a bad example for Americans to see. So not only is he an idiot, but he's an idiot who's willing to double down on his stupidity and refuse to give an apology to those that he literally owes one to. You know, all right, I'll I'll, I'll go this far. He doesn't owe an apology to anybody. However. The shit he said is fucking dumb. Yes. What he needs to do instead of apologizing is going get some more education on the sport. Right. Look, he doesn't, he's not been a pugilist commentator, whether it's boxing or whatever. Look, you enjoy boxing, sit down and watch it, that's fine. But to actually understand the game, to understand MMA, you have to actually go and pay attention, learn those different arts. Um, head, head punch, dick punch, that's not learning. Whoever the asshole is that's doing that with you made you to look like a fucking donkey. Yeah, yeah. Like, you look like a straight jackass. It, but that's neither here nor there. If you're really trying to learn, and I my hat's off to you, but when somebody tells you you're fucking wrong about something you really know nothing about... Take it on the chin and be like, okay, I'll go do some more research. Look, he's a fantastic sportscaster. I will say that 100%. Like, you look at all the other things he covers, whether it's basketball, football, everything, he knows his shit in those areas. MMA, he doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground. In fact, for that matter, he couldn't pour piss out of a boot with MMA if the directions were on the heel. It's... It's at some point, there's got to be a point where you go, you know what? Okay, I'm fucking wrong. I don't know shit. I'm going to shut up. I, I bet you, you could ask that man, what's the difference between a Darsh choke and an Anaconda choke? And he wouldn't fucking have a clue. Yep. And for little minor things like that, I know the casual fan might not understand those. And that's perfectly all right. Not expected to. If you're going to be a casual fan, be a casual fan. Exactly. Give a casual opinion. But don't say somebody fucking quit when they obviously got fucking rocked. 
especially somebody who's been around the game as long as they have and done the things that they've done, they don't just fucking quit. Yeah, orbital bone and uh, nose broken in under a minute, but you know. Yeah, when it when it looks like you actually got hit with a fucking baseball bat, there there's probably something going on there. But you know, what do I know? That guy's a fucking idiot. When it comes to MMA, uh, the rest of it though, my hats off to him. Fucking excellent commentator for everything else. MMA though, he can go jump in front of a truck. Cowboy came out today and said that he didn't break his nose or his orbital bone. He said he has no idea why UFC saying that. Interesting. Yeah. Really? Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, you know, they probably did it for fucking gain a little more traction, but still. Look at that dude after the fight. He was all sorts of fucked up looking after the fight. I'm just right. saying. He was still, yeah, that was definitely not a given. Yeah, that was, um, yeah, he. That, that's just Connor's quick in the first, and he Connor did exactly that. what Connor does, yeah. I'd like to see Stephen A. Smith versus fucking Joe Rogan and see who quits. Yeah, no shit. Well, that's that's the beautiful thing about Stephen A. Smith making such a ridiculous comment is that the amount of people who have come out of the woodwork and challenged him to one 40-second round with him using, like, Gary Tonin, for example, said that he would challenge Stephen A. Smith to one 40-second round. He would only use shoulder strikes. He would chug a fifth of Jack Daniels and a six-pack of Budweiser and shoot up a full syringe of black tar heroin and then only use one shoulder, not even both shoulders, just one. Anybody can make Stephen A. Smith quit in under 40 seconds. Like, there, I, I, will, I will say this. There are certain times where being an analyst of MMA is very easy. Because you can look at something and you can see how it came out. But then there are certain times where, like, in real close fights, it's hard to be realistic about it because you get so many campy fans who won't listen to the technicality of it. They only see it as, well, my guy was winning or your guy was winning. It, it can get a little weird sometimes because it's one of the few sports where you don't have to be able to do it to be able to analyze it. Like, if you don't play baseball, it's hard to understand the intricacies of the differences in holding the ball on the seams with your fingers in a different position in the glove. It's, it's very, very much not the same with MMA. You can get enough footage from enough angles and get enough general knowledge to analyze MMA for the most part. Calm down, rabid fucking casuals. For the most part, to analyze MMA. But it's also one of the only sports where your opinion can literally get you beaten up easily. Like, if you don't like the Twins and you're a baseball fan, but you like the Rockies, somebody will be like, oh, well, you know, the Rockies have this and this going on good. You guys have a decent chance. We'll see how it shakes out. Whereas if you have somebody who's a Nate Diaz fan and you start talking about Conor McGregor, they might just stock and slap you in the fucking street. That's the kind of weird shit that happens in the MMA fandom. And Stephen A. Smith is starting to find that out firsthand, maybe in a way that he wasn't quite prepared for, I think. Well, especially when it comes to those of us who are the fucking heavily into MMA. Uh, even on the sportscaster side of the house, you can tell who's heavily into MMA and who's not. I would love to see Ariel Hawani get a chance to go at it. Because I'm sure Ariel Hawani's probably never taken a fucking class in his life. But he's a fantastic fucking analyst. Yeah. And he knows the right questions to ask. He knows exactly what's going on. He'd go in there and wreck him. And he wouldn't even have to dick punch. He still would, but he wouldn't have to. 
you know, I'm just saying. But anyway, I'm over that shit because you know what? In another fucking six months, everybody's gonna forget about it until Stephen A. Smith says something fucking stupid. Because right? Yeah. Until it does it. Again. Now that they have this ESPN deal, they're trying to inject fucking every ESPN analyst they can into this shit, which, to be honest is a fucking shit show. Everyone that I've seen that they've been trying to analyze who's not an ESPN guy or not a MMA guy, fucking just terrible. Yeah. It's a sad thing to watch. Thank God we've still got, like, as much as I hate to say this, Ariel the bad guy on ESPN. <laughs> Thank God for shit like that. Right, um, right. Look, I, I like Chael Sonnen. Watching him commentate on some things is funny as hell. But at least he knows what the fuck he's talking about. Right, exactly. From all points of view, from a journalist and a fighter's point of view. Yeah, and don't get me wrong. There's as there's some journalists out there that really know what they're talking about as well. That's the reason why you have Ariel Helani. He's been doing this in this way for quite some fucking time. He got booted out from UFC press conferences at one point in his right. career. Just saying. It's fantastic there, but you know. No, but moving on from Stephen A. Dipshit um, brings me to a, a little chunk of news here about uh, supplementation. I, I think we, sh- we, would, we would call that the best category for these stories here. Um, the first one, probably not what you would expect. Um, martial arts legend and legitimate, you know, living great, Helson Gracie was recently arrested and jailed in his homeland of Brazil for possession of a controlled substance, trafficking narcotics, and possession of cannabis. Because he brought CBD cream with him from Florida. And the Brazilians didn't know the difference between CBD and regular weed. Even though medical marijuana is legal in Brazil, and when he presented his medical documentation for the use of the CBD in Florida, they immediately released him and, and negated the charges. But it was an entire ordeal to see a 66-year-old man get arrested. Not just any 66-year-old, but a 66-year-old Gracie get arrested in Brazil for weed. When it wasn't even really weed, it was CBD roll-on. Little irony, little irony. The more we take steps forward, there's always still parts of the world that are taking steps backwards. But the other two here are not quite as colloquial, I guess would be the, the right word for it here. Um, we found out yesterday that Diego the Nightmare Sanchez has officially been given and accepted a three-month retroactive suspension for a set of tainted supplements that he was taking. Um, he turned in his supplements when he popped hot. They verified that the amount in his test relegated or uh, matched rather the amount that they found in the tainted supplements that he had turned in. So they took that and he is clear to go, but officially still has a sanction on his record from USADA. Now we found out about an hour and a half later the exact same fucking thing has happened to OSP, but for different supplements and different chemicals. 
So, on one hand, this is one of those situations where guys like Nowitzki, the Golden Snitch, and Dana have been saying for literally years now, if you're going to take a supplement, check with USADA, check with the UFC. They have lists of approved, verified supplements that you can take, and you won't have any issues. But when you take things that aren't on that list that they can't verify, you will inevitably come up with some... <gasps> Tainted fucking situations, and here we just see one after another after another. That seems to be the more recurring theme than ever lately, but there is that. Um, which brings me to a little bit of an interesting, uh, not quite as, as light-hearted side of the news. Um, we did get word this week that along with the champ Wiley Zhang, uh, several of the other Chinese fighters will be coming to stay in Las Vegas for the next few months to continue out their training as the coronavirus spreads across China. And in true typical piece of shit form that she's had for the last several months, year and a half-ish, uh, Yoana Young-Jacek took that opportunity to make some shitty fucking human remarks about... Wiley and the Chinese and the coronavirus and then very, very un unauthentically, quote-unquote, apologized for it. Um, I guess on the good side of it is that these fighters are now all going to get the benefit of the USC Performance Institute for much longer than the traditional fight week that they may have originally. Uh, on the other side of things, I really, really, really hope now more than ever that Wiley just beats the absolute fucking brakes off of Ioana for being just such a general piece of shit human being lately. But we'll talk about that in a couple more weeks because that one's right around the corner as well. I just want to make this very well known because I think this is kind of funny. Um, for those of you who don't know, the flu... This year has killed more people than the fucking coronavirus. Stop worrying about the goddamn coronavirus. Move along. It's no different than the avian flu or swine flu or anything else that popped up that's the new biggest, oh my God. Get the fuck over it. It'll be okay. All right, I'm done. Yeah. And, but you know, <laughs> that goes the same along with fucking Joanna getting her ass beat. Get the fuck over it. It's going to happen. Right, right. Um, we did get some interesting news in the fight world yesterday, though. Um, May 29th over in 1FC, the heavyweight belt will be on the line between one Brandon Vera and the newly acquired Arjun Buller. That is going to be a big man showdown this summer that will definitely be, definitely be something you're going to want to look forward to if you are a fight fan. Um... Another piece of interesting news we got yesterday out of the fight world. Uh, history has officially been made. UFC 246 is officially now the first pay-per-view to be streamed and still sell over one million buys. Apparently, previously, uh, that was not something that was achieved. It was generally, if they streamed it, they got streams in... It wasn't a pay-per-view because those were separate. Now those are combined, and UFC 246 has set the benchmark at a million fucking buys, including the stream. So be interesting to see how ESPN Plus factors into those numbers going forward because that's, I guarantee, how they're finding all these uh, interesting little analytics out. 
we did get a notice. Yes, a notice. We did get notified yesterday that for the fourth time in a row, a short notice fight has been taken by Angela Overkill Hill to the excitement of none against a debut maker, uh, Loma Lukbun. Uh, February 23rd, so in, you know, three weeks down in Auckland, New Zealand. Um, and now, to her credit, I will say, uh, four short-notice fights in a row for Angela Hill is, you know, that's, that's starting to get company status. And to be fair, she is three and one of those four. So, a win's a win, as they say, but, man being willing to take short notice fights and still making them boring is not going to win you over any fucking favors. That's for damn sure. No, especially not when the people you're fighting on short notice are newcomers. Yeah. yeah. What do I know? I'm just some random guy out the street. Right. But that unenthusiastic piece of news is the last thing we have in today's news and recent events segment, which will bring us to the meat and potatoes of this particular episode. The reason for the season, the name of the show, UFC 247 Jones versus Reyes. <sighs> the original first pay-per-view of 20 or 2020 on the UFC side of things prior to McGregor and his hold my whiskey and watch this moment. So let's get right the fuck into it here. Um, UFC 247 is actually surprisingly put together very, very well. Now, as is the case with all fight cards we talk about here, there's of course a little bit of fluff here and there, but this time it actually was not terrible there was only a couple that aren't really big fights that aren't really worth breaking down for the most part but we are going to try and save you a little bit of time here if we can so right out of the gate the early prelims is literally just a bantamweight showcase 335 pound fights that are all very interesting the bad part is that none of them are really particularly devastating one way or the other to the division. Now, these are all three going to be great fights to watch. These are definitely going to set the tone because they're all six little dudes who can get fucking crazy. I just don't think any of these are going to be the big fireworks to really pop anything off. So, heads up to the UFC for making an all-bantamweight prelim. I don't know that they've ever done that with a full early card or prelim card in any of the events, at least any time recently that I can remember. So, that's an interesting way to go, especially with 135 getting as much buzz as it is right now. Because with Henry, quote-unquote, coming back to the division to fight Jose Aldo for the belt next, as I scratch my fucking head, there's a lot shaking up in that division underneath that fight. There's a lot of guys chomping at the bit to come and get that fucking belt, regardless of who has it at the end of the summer. So this is definitely going to be uh, a little bit of an early tip of the hat towards that division, I feel here. Ewell, Andre Ewell, I think, takes it. Journey Newsom takes it. And I think Miles Johns takes it. All three of them, I think, of the three are the best. But I feel like of the six gentlemen fighting, I have a strong indication that we might see three decision victories. So 
there there is that. But moving along from there, we will jump in and start our breakdowns here on the prelims. Now, right out of the gate, we have got a very interesting ladies matchup here. Lauren Murphy versus Andrea KGB Lee. This is where the fights on this card start to be more impactful towards the divisions they're taking place in. Andrea Lee, like her or not, is on a pretty decent little tear right now with some good momentum behind her moving up in the division. Granted, she's not taking out big names. She's still chopping her way through the soup can section of the division, but she's getting momentum and she's starting to get confidence and a little bit more of a tool set than she had previously. The problem is, is when you start to do that in the UFC, they generally do like we were talking about earlier and they start to give you legitimate competition. And in this situation, this is, in, in my opinion, the most qualified and the most well-rounded and legitimate competition Andrea Lee has seen in her career. Lauren Murphy might not be a household name yet, but she's number seven in the division for a fucking reason. She's a staple in the lady side of things. She's a very well-rounded fighter, and she's no slouch to be taken lightly here. She's steady in the middle of the pack on the lady side for a pretty good fucking reason here. And I think it's going to be a very interesting matchup, but I feel like this is one of those situations where, and this is, again, based partially on the press that we've seen this week building up to this, Andrea Lee seems to be getting a little uh, high in her saddle, I believe is the proper cowpoke term. Big for her boots, maybe. Uh, large for her britches. Take your cowboy colloquialism as it may. Um, I think she's getting a little too tall for her own ego. I think she's a little full of herself at the moment, and she's starting to do that thing that we always love to call out, where they start to overlook their opponents because they're so blinded by their own shine or what they feel is their own shine, and I feel that aside from just being an all-around better fighter than Andrea Lee, I feel in this situation, the fight IQ that Lauren Murphy has is really going to, I, I feel, turn this into more of a masterclass than a matchup. I think Lauren Murphy puts KGB away in the second round. I think this one doesn't see the judges. Wow, that's some pretty high praise for a uh, number seven ranked fucking um, Lauren Murphy there. I'm just, just saying. But for this, this is going to be an interesting fight to me. I don't think that we're going to see a finish in this fight, though. I think this is going to end up going the distance, and it's going to end up a fucking decision. There's no way that uh, I, I don't think, even with Lauren Murphy's fight IQ at this stage in her career, I don't think she puts away Andrea Lee. That, not by any means. Don't me wrong. KGB is she's been looking faster a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit more than she should be. Um, I'll leave that. But with the way that Lee's been slowly chopping away at the division, albeit some of the soup cans and lower, she's been steadily moving her way up. And when you get that kind of steam behind you, that's a hard thing to break. Even when you get that little next bump up in competition, fucking Lauren Murphy, she's fighting down. When you're fighting down, you're expected to win. That's when you have the biggest chance to fuck up. I don't know who's going to win this fight, nor do I think it's going to shake up the 125-pound women's division at all. The only way it shakes it up is if fucking Lauren Murphy comes out there and gets her ass kicked. And by ass kicked, I mean in either a really dominant fashion over three rounds or gets finished. 
that'll be a huge shakeup in the division because of the last couple of fights that KGB's been on where she's been doing really well and managing excellent fucking wins. But if she loses, it's not a big fucking deal in the division. This doesn't give Lauren Murphy anything. This is Lauren Murphy's fight to lose, which that's a bad prospect in itself when you're taking a fight. When it's your fight to lose, that's a bad prospect. We've seen it time and time again where people are in that position and they take the shit on it. Do I know who's going to win this fight? No. Am I truly rooting for one or the other? No, not really. To be honest, I think it's going to end up being a coin flip. Depends on how much has KGB overlooked Murphy and then does Murphy show up because she's expected to win. I had written down here Lauren Murphy first round TKO ass kicks. So a little different than golf tee. I'm picking Lauren Murphy just because that's the only one I know. (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Interesting, Uh interesting strategy to call winning by ass kicks. But you know, I mean, hey, I'd be down to see it. I, I don't think that we've ever seen a stoppage TKO by ass kicks before, but. I'm not opposed to it by any stretch of the imagination. I wonder how hard you'd have to kick somebody in the glute in order to finish fight. That should be one though, right? TKO ass kick. Yeah, I think I think it could be it could be done for sure. We've seen several people where when they get dropped to the ground, rather than going to the ground to fight them, somebody will literally just kick them square in the ass while they're on the ground. So, yeah. I mean, it's plausible. It's really plausible. <laughs> I want to see where Lauren Murphy's from. I know I knew at one point she really reminds me of some Irish girls that are in here in Philly. And then when she would uh, argue with Eddie Alvarez on that uh, show, it really reminded me of it. Right. I'm not sure. I'm not Hometown, sure. Anchorage, Alaska. Oh, wow. Interesting. Interesting yeah. indeed. There you go. Now you know. (laughs) So that'll bring us to our our next interesting matchup here. Antonio Arroyo versus Trevin Giles. Now, this is one of the... I guess it would be more of a prospect matchup. Both of these gentlemen are still fairly new in their UFC careers, but... um, to their credit, Trevin Giles at this point in his career has only had two losses to top gentlemen in the division. He's got a decent record brewing. He's got a decent skill set to him. I feel like in this situation, Antonio Arroyo is literally coming in with one fight. I feel like even though they're both fairly new, they're both on the prospect side of it. They're both relatively untested for the most part compared to the tops of the division. I feel for where they're at right now, I think Trevin Giles is going to have the advantage just because I believe this is his eighth pro fight versus the second one for Arroyo, who went to decision on his first round. Nine and three overall, yeah. Oh, hey, oh, we're actually reading that. Yeah, this is the second matchup in the UFC, so I think it'll be interesting. I think it'll be a good fight. Yeah, nine and three versus eleven and two. The prospect fights are always fun for me. 
I think the best part about this is the stage that they're giving them for this. Yeah, the premier prelim I mean, fight. Premier prelim fight right before the fucking main card kicks off. If you're a prospect, this is the hot seat ticket right Fuck fucking yeah. here. Because everybody's eyes are going to be on you because the crowd is rolling in because the main card's about to start. So the arena should be pretty full at that point. Not to mention you got everybody who's at home that's getting ready to buy the pay-per-view. You're that fight. It might, is it worth it for me to buy this? How did the rest of their prelims look? Yep. Make a big fucking difference here. You can make a huge splash and a huge name for yourself. So either one of these gentlemen, if they do something fucking fantastic, pull something crazy, that's going to shoot their stock way up because there's going to be a lot of eyes on them. And you know How could you ask for a better spot than to say, we're in prospect status. We're still at the bottom of the division, but you know what? This gives us that chance to shine and get our name out there. Yeah. Yeah, it really it really is a great platform for prospects, and I think this is going to be a great fight to put in that position. Oh, yeah. And for one good thing there, it's the right fucking weight class, too, for a good fucking premier yeah. fight on the prelims because yeah. middleweight's always fantastic to watch. Because they're big enough to fucking knock each other out, but they also don't gas that easy either. So it, it's that nice Goldilocks it. range. Yeah, it is between that and that or welterweight. Those are like my two fucking yeah. favorites in that yeah. kind of situation. So it'll be interesting to see. I right, don't get me wrong; it would have been nice to see some big boys there too, some heavyweights, because that's always a good way to kick right. off. Start right before a main card, but hell yeah, ow. I think that. The UFC may have been doing some fucking homework because we've been complaining a lot about fucking the way that they've had cards set up and it finally seems like they may possibly have turned a corner. Be interesting though. It's that just that whole middleweight fucking prospect vibes. Excellent. Yeah. Loving it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Meter already said this, but um the the this fight that we're talking about the last couple of fights is on regular ESPN, regular cable ESPN. That's the prelim and like Goff T was saying, usually these fights are the better ones because people are getting ready for the next fight, which we're about to talk about and they get in front of the TV and they have one more fight until the main card kicks off. You know, everybody's getting in front of the TV to watch Derek Lewis and I don't know either of these guys. I think I might have seen both of them fight, but I didn't remember anything. And I'm not even going to pick this one. I'm just going to enjoy it. I think you've seen Trevin Giles fight once before. He fought once fairly recently, and I'm pretty sure we talked about him then too. But yeah. I don't think Arroyo has been... I, I think his, his one fight in the UFC was long enough ago. I don't know that you'd be familiar with it unless you've done a lot of research on him. <laughs> yeah. I think I do remember Giles, and yeah, that's about it. No, it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting matchup, and and I agree completely. This is a great place to put that prospect fucking highlight fight, and I think it's gonna be a good one. But that, ladies and gentlemen, will bring us into the actual meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes segment. That is the meat and potatoes of our show here, the main card. So now. 
As with most delicious fucking main cards that the USC gives us here, we're not going to skip right to the goodies. We're going to start right at the edge. We're going to work our way in, get down to the goodies at the very end here. We're going right from the very tippy top. The beautiful opening of the main card. UFC 247 has given us a beautiful little bow wrap gift to start the evening off with in the form of one Black Beast Derek Lewis versus Ayer Latifi. Now... For folks who have been following the UFC for the last couple of years, Derek Lewis has quite literally been tearing his way through the heavyweight division from the soup cans all the way up to the top of the fucking top. He has fought for the belt before, and I call that an asterisk on his career because that was a whole separate thing. But aside from that and his fight with Francis Ngannou, which was the trigger or the, the gun-shy, rather, event of the, the decade, we have seen basically nothing but great work from Derek Lewis. Now, granted, it's not always great work. His cardio has absolutely been a contentious issue several times in the past. But the thing about Derek Lewis is that he has never finished. Until you put that big man to fucking sleep and hear him snore, them hot balls can come at that ass any point in fucking time during that fight. And they will. I assure you, they will. Now we've got a guy in Ayer Latifi who, realistically speaking, should be fighting at middleweight based on his size and body structure. He should be fighting at 85. He's been previously fighting at 205, like you see here, uh, but has decided that it's time for him to make the move up and fight with the big boys at heavyweight. And he's coming in against one of the strongest contending heavyweights that the UFC has in Derek Lewis. And not only is he coming in against Derek Lewis bringing that fucking heat, he's coming in, in a, against a Derek Lewis who is actively working on reducing his overall body mass and increasing his cardio. So he's got the ability and the energy to put the full pressure fight on you from start to finish. Because we've seen Derek Lewis go five rounds before. He can do it. It ain't fucking pretty, but he can do it. And now we've got a motivated Derek Lewis who wants to be able to go five rounds and wants to be able to put five hard fucking rounds on you. Coming against a guy who, to be fair, really wasn't shit to, to fucking brag about at 205 thinking that he's going to have the power increase and the benefit that some other folks have claimed to get from going uh, from 205 up to 265. And... I don't think it's going to be there for him. I don't think Latifi's skill set was enough at 205, and I don't feel like he's done enough since he left 205 and decided that he's coming to heavyweight to make that change. And I think this is one of those situations where, you know, hats off to the guy for trying something to change up his career because clearly what he was doing was not working. But this is not the move to get you in the place you want to be. I think this is a situation where... He wasn't shit as a light heavyweight. He's not going to be shit at heavyweight. Realistically, what he needs is a better camp, a better nutritionist, somebody who's going to put him on the path to middleweight because at his size, he could be a problem at 85. But I think he's just going to be a punching bag at heavyweight. And I think Derek Lewis puts his ass to sleep inside a two. You know, there is only one thing on this that I'm going to have to disagree with you on. I don't think he'd ever make 185. If you look at oh, his frame, the way, he, uh, the way he's built, there's no way he'd make 185. Um, he Okay, 
he could make 185 if you drained half of the blood out of his system before the fight. <laughs> but no, him coming up to, to heavyweight, that's a huge fucking gamble for him. And, and when I say huge, I mean huge, because he was cutting 205. I'm guessing when he weighs in tomorrow, we're probably going to see him somewhere closer to the neighborhood of like 240. 245. That's what I'm thinking. It's probably 245 as well. And I'm guessing he's not going to have to cut because he, he's he's a pretty fucking yoked guy as he is walking around. Yeah, he's ice he's, cream cone shaped. Yeah, he, he's all up top, nothing down bottom. Uh, yep. I mean, they got to put the little fucking melted chocolate in the bottom just to plug it from leaking. But you know, um, it, it, this is a that's a crazy fight. Why, Why, if you're going to go up to fucking heavyweight, would you say, yeah, I'll fight Derek Lewis as my first fight? That's a stupid idea. Do you want to get sent into orbit? Don't get me wrong. Latifi has some power, but he's also given up six inches in reach in this fight and like four or five inches in height. It's That's fucking crazy. It's a night-night Latifi. I don't think he makes it out of the second, to be quite honest. And if he does, my hat's off to him that he's um, managed to get on his bicycle. The only thing that I think that he's going to have the advantage over Lewis on in this is going to be the speed aspect. Just because he's going to be a, a bit more quicker because he's used to fighting those guys that are quicker with their hands at 205. That's going to be the only thing that's going to help him here. And I don't think the speed is going to outdo that fucking power because all he's going to do is catch him once. That's it. I mean, we've seen it. We've seen him do it in the last possible fucking second of a fight. Latifi's going to have a bad night. Uh, don't get me wrong. He's been a mainstay in the UFC for quite some time now, but this is not the way to um, get your career rolling hot again. You probably could have done something better at 205, changed something up a little bit, and that would have got you rolling again, but this is not the way to do it and not the person to come in and try to do it against. I mean, I guess they could have thrown him up against Blahovich and Blahovich could have knocked down another one coming up a fucking level, but you know, Shit. it'll be, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm pretty excited to see how this one pans out. And, and I just missed Blahovich Blahovic fights at 205. So yeah. I, I screwed the hooch on that one. Corrected myself. <laughs> Fuck all of you. Although to be uh, fair, I would absolutely still have been down to see Blahovich versus Latifi at 205. Yeah, that would have been a fantastic fight. I would Although, absolutely sign up for that one. I think Blahovich would still blow him out of the water, yeah, but, you know. I think he would as well. I think it would be very akin to the light heavyweight version of uh, Nkanu versus Overeem. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> but, by the way, I, no more than second round, I don't think. I think um, Derek Lewis takes his shorts off in the middle of the octagon. Gives us another great one-liner about going to screw his wife after he goes and drinks some. <laughs> I mean, he's at home, so this is Derek Lewis in Houston. So I believe, as the kids say, he's going to put on for his city. Yeah, that's that's one thing I was going to say. There's either there's two things either happening here. Either they're giving this fight to Derek Lewis in his city, um, or Alir Latifi knows something everybody else doesn't it could be just one of them things where 
Um, he's either really fucking stupid, or he might know some. He might know something that everybody else doesn't know. Uh, he might see something, um, which I don't think against. Der- I mean, <coughs> Derek Lewis is a lot of fun, a lot of fun to watch and everything. But there's definitely things that he does. Like sometimes he gets on my fucking nerves. Like when he when he goes and holds his stomach and shit in the middle of the fight, and he starts like doing this little like wincing and stuff like that. Sometimes I know it's like him playing possum, but sometimes he's really he does not have a poker face. And no, he really don't. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot to do with speed. I mean, a lot of people think that like um, lots of these guys that have power, like the power thing isn't like always the the case it's not always the case it's it's usually the punch that isn't seen like um lots of people that fight connor say like it's not even that he hits hard it's just you don't fucking see it coming you don't fucking know so that could be something but i mean it's a huge size advantage it's not even like i mean when meter put it in the message thing and we're all like wow well wait wait what what that's fucking he's humongous compared to Alir Latifi's my size. He's 5'8", 205 pounds. Now, he's in way better shape, but that's that's me. I'm 200 pounds, fucking 5'8". So, <laughs> Derek Lewis, yeah, I ain't doing that at all. I'm not even thinking of that. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have to back one hell of a truck full of money up to my fucking house to get me to step in a cage against Derek Lewis's big ass. But then I think about it, and I do think Alir Latifi stands a better chance against Derek Lewis than John Jones in his own weight class. So it, it is kind of a weird thing, but yeah, yeah, I don't think that's a good fight for. I, I don't know. That's it's such a big size advantage, especially seeing Derek Lewis this week. Um, Next to John Jones and how big he is, it's just yeah, man. he makes John Jones look small. Although I will say, watching the uh, the ESPN interviews that Derek Lewis did this week, talking about how he's actively working on his diet and he's actively working on trying to keep himself in a lower state so that if he does have to cut to make that heavyweight limit, it's less that he has to cut. And uh, ironically enough, he tells you this as he's sitting at a table with Brett Akimoto and they bring him out a fucking crawfish boil that I don't know that I could put my arms around. And they're talking about how Derek had an entire chicken ranch pizza or uh, a barbecue chicken pizza for lunch yesterday, but he told him to keep the bacon because that shit would be too much and he's trying to watch his figure. I mean, if a Lirla Tipe points <laughs> going backwards and fucking just points he could fucking win on points yeah no there's absolutely a chance just kicks leg kicks and then yeah he's got to be real real decisive and real careful about it if he goes that way for sure i don't know it's 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 going to be interesting either way it goes because it Derek lewis doesn't put on boring fights aside from that fucking Nganu match that was uh, a fucking asterisk among asterisks to begin with. Derek Lewis isn't a boring fighter, no matter who he's against, really. So, yeah, that fight was that one little thing in statistic that you call an outlier that you don't include because it doesn't fit the mold. Yeah, it's the That's anomaly. For, for the both of them, fuck. Yeah, no shit. I think they were just they were both scared of each other's power because they realized they both got it. Yeah, I think and that was just one of those weird clash-ups. Yeah, that they both knew what they had, and they were both too scared to take the other one's fucking shots, and nobody threw. And yet, we still haven't seen that rematch yet. It didn't need to happen. I 
I think just because right the fans need to know what would have actually happened. Yes, yeah, what they're both capable of when they're not afraid to fucking throw it at each other. Yeah, because they that would both be sent people to the fucking orbit. And Fuck it's... yeah, yeah. I think I think that's one of those rematches that the more so than Dana crying about how the people want to see DC versus Stipe again. I think the fans would much rather see Derek Lewis versus Engano again than DC versus Stipe three. Oh, yeah. But, moving along from there, that'll bring us to our next interesting fight here. This is my dark horse fight of the card. This is the one that I think is getting the most overlooked of anything on the main card. That is Merced Bektik versus Dan Ige. This is one of those fights where they're not big guys. They're not, you know, incredibly fast, twitchy, flashy guys. These are some, you know, average-sized gentlemen. These are two very respectable featherweight fighters here, but they're both very creative in their styles. Neither one of these guys are what you would call, quote-unquote, traditional fighters here. Both of these guys come in very unorthodox, and if you watch their their face-offs at the... uh, what do they call them? The the ceremonial face-offs today. Dan Ige is fucking hilarious here. Mercer Bechtick came out, shirt off, all pump, super fucking, you know, big ol' arms. Dan Ige stood next to him and, and literally, like, played it up. Fucking beautiful. Great representation of Dan Ige. Very lighthearted. Always, you know, not taking anything too fucking seriously. Um, this is a, a very, very, very good matchup here. I think both of these guys stylistically match up real even across the board. They're both great strikers. They're both great wrestlers. They're both gas tank guys. Neither one of these guys are people that you watch to fade out in the end of the second, beginning of the third round. Both of these guys can go hard for the whole fight, and I think it's a very interesting matchup style-wise. I think it's going to be close, but as much as I like both of these guys, I, I can't pick one here. This is it's such an even matchup for me here. I don't know which one of these guys really is going to be able to put the edge over the other one. And I think that was not my um dark horse fight on the card. I'll be damned. But no, um, this one definitely going to be fucking fun to watch because they both have fucking gas tanks for days. But granted, they're featherweights. 99% of the featherweights that we watch all have that wonderful gas tank. But these guys are right on that cusp of breaking into the ranked echelons, which is going to make it very interesting because I think they're both going to really fucking go to town and want to see a hell of a fight. Uh, granted, to be quite honest, I really wish that they would have put um, this fight before Derek Lewis's fight. But, you know, Agreed. Agreed. I, I just, think so as well. In fact, um, the next fight after this one, too, should have been put um, prior to fucking Derek Lewis and any of the TV's fight. However, I get it. You want to kick off the fucking main card with a bang? That's yeah. the way to do it. But, and they're going to uh, do it for sure, yeah. <laughs> I, to be honest, I think e, I think Ige's getting overlooked in this fight by by the people that are actually paying attention to it because we've seen what Beckett can do. Yeah. But I don't think people are giving Dan Ige the fucking necessary credit here and i think he might sneak one by everybody and catch some people off guard i'm saying if you go and look at the lines if i'm not mistaken beck dick is a, a small favorite in this one 
put your money on Ige. You're going to make some fucking money, mark my words. I don't think it's going to be a finish, but I think he does get it done via unanimous decision. Yeah, I guess this would be my dark horse, too, in the sense that I'm in the dark on this one. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know these guys. I'm not going to pretend I... I can make a pick on it. I did just watch the face-off, though. Literally, at, right after Gotti got done talking, I watched the the muscle thing. It's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, looking forward to it, though. But, yeah, I am surprised that Derek Lewis isn't up on the card more, but they open up. It's weird that they open up a, a card like that because you already bought it. So, what's the sense? Just put Derek Lewis up on top. Right. I agree. I I I think this would have been one of those perfect situations for the people's co-main event that they're starting to call it when they put fights in that third slot from the end right before the actual co-main, but it's a fucking banger of a fight. And I agree completely. In this situation here, the fucking main card is all stacked up. Why not put fucking, you know, Bectic up on top and then put the Juan Adams fight behind him and then give us Derek Lewis right before that fucking co-main to just build that fucking momentum all the way up. But, you know. As, as they say, it is what it is. <laughs> that Juan Adams fight, I, that's my dark horse fight of the night, to be quite honest. Well, and ironically, that's actually what we're coming to talk about right now. And this was actually, it was it was a toss-up between this and that, that Merced-Bectic fight. Uh, for dark horse for me, this is absolutely, I agree, going to be one of the better fights on the card, I think, here. Juan Adams is a Ultimate Fighter alum and a, a real overlooked fighter in my opinion here. And then you look across the octagon from him and you have Justin Taffa, who is quite literally Mark Hunt's protege. He is the next iteration of Mark Hunt. Stylistically, uh, fight IQ-wise, just he's slowly morphing into Mark Hunt if you look at the fucking guy. Um, it's, it's real interesting because, again, like you see here that Nick brought up for us, these are young, young heavyweights. Neither one of these guys are even 30 yet here. And you're talking about two guys who absolutely have the potential to be top 10 real contenders here in the very near future, in my opinion, if they can both stay the course here. But I think this is going to be an interesting matchup because you've got uh, Juan Adams here who is absolutely more of a grappler but still has that Derek Lewis kind of wrestling swing style of striking versus Tafa, who has got that Mark Punt fucking swing for the fences with that power shot that'll take your fucking head off your shoulders, kind of KO artist, as they as they used to refer to him here. Um, I think it's an interesting matchup to see who's going to be able to get their gameplay intimate, excuse me, their game plan implemented first, because if Tafa can come in and start landing big strikes right away, he can put Adams in serious trouble and end this fight fast. But if Adams can get around those big shots and put Taffa on his back, we've seen that much like most of the quote-unquote KO artists, a lot of these guys have problems fighting from their back. They have problems when they're put in a defensive position. They kind of turtle up a little bit. They don't really know how to get out of a lot of bigger attacks. They don't really know how to put the offense together from the ground in a lot of these situations. Juan Adams is no exception to that here. Um, he can get you to the ground and confuse the fuck out of your fighting method, especially for a guy like Tafa. So I feel like it's a matter of game plans coming down in this one here. And I feel like we already know that Adams is going to try and get this to the ground, but 
Tafa also has a good fucking quarter behind him, and I think that they're going to have prepared for that, and I think wanting to put on the show like he does in, you know, homage to his fucking predecessor, I think Tafa is going to be prepared for that. I don't think it's going to be anything along the lines of a Masvidal Askren, but I feel like this one goes real fucking quick. I think we see this one end in the first under three minutes is what I'm saying. I think we see this one end in the first pretty goddamn quick. I think Tafa puts Adams to sleep. Uh, this was actually my dark horse fight of the night. Um, and not because of where I think the length of the fight's going to go. Hey, I don't think this fight's going to go that long. Right. But both of these guys, because they're relatively unknown to, to the larger fan base, and when I say the larger fan base, I mean a lot of the more casual fans that are buying this fight because um, you've got Jones and you've got Shevchenko on here. Those two names sell this entire fucking card for the normal casual fan because they know who both of them are. But relatively speaking, they don't know who Juan Adams are. They don't know who Justin Toppa is. Yes, Toppa just actually just came off of a loss in his last fight, I don't know, let's say it's three or four months ago. But uh, he's definitely fucking knockout artist. And he... He's training with the likes of Tai Tuivasa and them out, out there. So you know what they, they train to do. They're going to go out and try to knock your fucking head off. And Juan Adams coming off of the fucking open fighter there, he's, he's fucking – he's set. He's set already. And his ground game is – it's at a decent spot right now. But I don't know that he's going to be able to actually get a takedown on Tafa, who's known now for swinging for the fences. I think it's going to happen is he's going to get caught because he's going to get sloppy wrestling, and that's going to cost him. However, if he ends up taking Tafa down, that's all she wrote. Tafa's not getting back up. He is not well-rounded on the ground at all. I will call that spade like you see it. He's fucking terrible on the ground. He's just like Tuvasa. He's just like a lot of those guys. He'll get one or two chances to muscle his way up. If he can't do it, that's all she wrote. But I don't see this getting outside of the first round. There's going to end up being a knockout. I think Tapa takes it. To be quite honest, I think that his knockout ability and um, his knockout artist status is a little underrated for where he's at. Yeah, he lost his last fight, but he's got a lot more to show that I don't think a lot of people have noticed yet. And we're going to start taking notice pretty soon when you start seeing these um, walk-off uh, Mark Hunt-esque KOs happening. When when that happens, I think people's head will turn. He'll he'll turn in. I think he's going to eventually turn into that fan favorite like Hunt was. Might not ever see a title, but he's going to end up being a fan favorite one day, I think. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. Yeah. I already, yeah, I already like jo- uh, Justin Tafa a lot. Um, yeah, I pick, I pick Tafa. Um, yeah, he is up against it with the reach and everything, but yeah, I just like what I see from him a little more than Juan Adams. I think it's just more because the big guys, the strikers and the big guys usually are more appealing to me because that's usually how they end anyway. 
you know, the worst part of this is, is one of these guys I did root for at one point because he had to fight somebody that um, shall not be named. And I really wanted him to win that fight. But so did I. Unfortunately, uh, so did I. Juan couldn't put that away, so I have a feeling he's going to crumble under pressure again. Yep. Yeah, and we I think we were all fucking cheering him on during that fight, and he absolutely let us down in that situation when he should have shined against a fucking soup can. Mm-hmm. But we'll we'll definitely see because Tafa's no soup can. That's for damn sure. So if if Adams really wants to be taken seriously and he wants to seriously put himself in contention to stay a, a staple in that heavyweight division, I think he's gonna have to do something real fucking impressive this weekend. I don't know if he's capable of it, but we're definitely gonna see. But this is the point where us foaming at the mouth rabbit hardcore fans just get to. Woosah a little bit and in with the out, in with the, no, words and mystic holistic bullshit stuff, but we calm down, we relax a little bit, we let the hardcore kind of fade away and we bring in one of our favorite folks in the world to give us a little more relaxed interpretation of, of how this card might go, our favorite casual for casual corner, Miss Loomy Streams. Meditating. We're something. Okay. Um, All right. So let's go to the co-main event where we got John Jones versus Dominic Fries. This is a pretty interesting. Nope. Shut up. This is the co-main event. (laughs) And we got John over here. He's got 25 fights in his record. One. I don't know what the one is anymore. It's been a while. What's the one? One loss? Has he only lost one? Yes. And it is a controversial loss. It was a 12 to, to 6 elbow stoppage that has since been kind of deemed a bad stoppage. It's it's one of several asterisks that he has on his record at this point. Cool, I suppose. Dudes, it's coming event doesn't really matter too much, anyways. His component or opponent, component, <laughs> his opponent is 12 0 and 0, so not too shabby of a matchup there. Clearly, he might be hopefully a little bit younger or newer to the game. It's like half half of the other dude's score, so mm-hmm. meh. Um, got a blah blah blah. John Jones. Okay, so it's not going to scroll with me, so we're just going to have to keep in mind John Jones is red and Dominic Rise is blue, because I'm not going to remember that. Alright, so blue has 58% KO, TKO. I'm going... I, I like this one so far. He's only got 25% decision, 17% submission. The other guy's trailing not too far behind, but he's got 30% decision, and that's just really a damn shame um so yeah yeah we're going with blue so far blue blues yep blues blues gas power we got we're going for blue that's it all right so dominic rise that's my voter um then we got to go to the main card the Meat and potatoes of 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 your fucking side dinner, fucking shit dinner, which needs to replace with meat and potatoes. We got Valentina Shevchenko versus somebody, nobody gives a shit. 
because we got Valentina Shevchenko. So fuck everything else. I'm rooting for Valentina Shevchenko. Peace. Casual as always. Much appreciated, man. We thank you for your service. Wait, what color is Valentina Shevchenko, though? Red. Okay, good. So we've got a blue pick and a red pick. Mark doing Mooney's picks here for my, what did I say, recap this weekend. So as our favorite casual dissipates back into the emanations of the void, that will bring us to the potatoes all gratin here for our lovely dinner that is UFC 247 and the actual co-main event in Valentina Shevchenko versus Caitlin Chukagian, the bullet versus the blonde fighter. Wrong order! Shh. Now, this is one of those fights that from the time they announced it, a lot of us pretty much just laughed and snickered. And to be fair, it's not that Caitlin Chukagian hasn't earned her way into a title shot. Uh, fair is fair. you got to call a spade a spade. She has absolutely taken out everyone that they have put in front of her to this point. The problem being, <clears throat> not a single person that they have put in front of Caitlin Chukagian to this point could carry the bucket Valentina's piss gets poured into, in my opinion. Valentina Shevchenko is the only person to have even come close to a victory against Amanda Nunes since she has started her reign as the quote-unquote female GOAT. I am one of those rabid fucking fans that is a firm believer that not once but both of the times Amanda and Valentina have fought, Valentina got the better of the fight and was robbed by the judges. Now, like we say, you can't complain when it's in the hands of the judges because at that point it's not your control anymore, but... Valentina, for my dollar, is the number one female MMA fighter in the UFC, period. Not based on weight class, period. Total definitive, she embodies what it is to be a female mixed martial artist. Overall. That being said, she has decided that 125 is the place, at least for right now, she is going to call her home. And there is not a single woman on the MMA side or on the UFC side. Are you fucking words? There is not a single woman in the UFC organization that has a chance to push her to the side and take that belt from her. Now, I don't think this is going to be a first round 42nd Conor McGregor style stoppage. But I don't see this fight making it past a second. I have a very strong feeling that based on what we've seen in her preparations and what we've heard from her talks, that we might even see a very Jessica I-esque head kick in round two. But whether it's the head kick, whether it's a submission, whether it strikes, I don't see this fight making it to round three. I think Valentina and still before the end of the second round. I agree with everything you say there. There's a couple things that I do have to point out because I have to play devil's advocate on at least one fight a week. You know, it's just kind of my goal here. Now, I know with 100% certainty Valentina's going to win this fight. Okay? Just getting that 
out of here right now. But to play devil's advocate on the other side of this, I don't think people are giving Chikagian enough credit. Not by any means. Uh, don't get me wrong. When I heard the name says Chikagian, I'm like, oh, well, got another lamb to slaughter. Yep. And to be quite honest, I'm pretty sure that's what that's going to be. However, Chikagian's taking this pretty goddamn seriously. She absolutely and, is. And, and it's it's amazing to see that because it's not one some of those other fights that uh, Valentina went, oh, she's not unbeatable. Where you hear that from some of them. And Kagan knows better. She's seen what can happen. However, Kagan also has a different mindset than a lot of other female fighters that have come to this fun and fighting her. If you go back and watch, even even just watch this week of the UFC countdowns. She's been a, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to be first. I'm not going to be anything else kind of person. Even said it in the UFC countdowns this week. Just so everybody's out there, you can see it. That's If you're going to go into it, that's the kind of mindset to have in this business. You can't go in there, well, I'll settle for a mediocre career. No. You're either in this year or not. That gives her more of a leg up than I think most people are giving her credit for. She's got the right mentality. She's not looking past her by any means. And she does possess some pretty fucking gnarly kicks of her own, which I think everybody forgets about. Now, counter side to that, because I have to play devil's advocate on myself here, somebody was just training at Tiger Muay Thai for the last fucking umpteen months and is coming in with some of the gnarliest fucking knees and leg kicks and head kicks you're going to see probably for the rest of the fucking year. Chikagian's got her work cut out for her. Can she do it? My own honest opinion, no. But to play devil's advocate, yeah, she's got a chance because she does have some gnarly kicks of her own. However, I'm going to give Chikagian the benefit of the doubt here, and she makes it past three doesn't get finished till the fourth. That's my devil's advocate on <laughs> Even though it's really not much of a devil's advocate because she's still going to end up losing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I would never go against um, Shevchenko, but there is something like there's she moves so perfect, right? And she's very quick. She doesn't telegraph stuff. But her moves are very known and at some point somebody is going to catch on to the per when you're perfect then it's easier to um it's not easy to read though she's not easy to read that's the that's the bad thing but you do know what moves are coming and at some point somebody's going to catch her and even though it's going to be really hard i don't know if it's going to be the name I can't pronounce. Caitlin. Caitlin Chukagian. Caitlin Chogagangan. Caitlin Chogagangan. <laughs> yeah. She's a Final Fantasy fighter. Caitlin Chogagangan. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't bet it. Yeah, you guys said it already. It's, yeah, she's just Valentina Shevchenko, even against, um, shit, I can't even say her fucking name. Um, even against Nunes, I wouldn't even bet against her on a third time because 
I don't know if I've seen both Nunes fights, but I the definitely seen them. The first one was a long fight. time ago. The first one was old school, like early on in both of their MMA careers. Yeah, but the second one, I did think that she did win that one. I, I did think she was right. It was very, very, very close. It, yeah, it was a good I, fight. It absolutely was a good fight. Yeah, but she was right. Um, and she was definitely passionate about that, too. That's actually a funny interview after. Uh, she's like, look at my face, and then look at her face. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, got to go with uh, Shevchenko on this one and just about every single one after this one. Yeah, it's enjoy watching her every. It don't matter who she fights though; she's really fun to watch. Um, yeah, absolutely. How, how fast she is, and how she does it, and just how perfect she is at what she does. No, yeah. she she's always entertaining to watch, and and like TJ said, she just spent the last I think two and a half months over in uh, Thailand at Tiger Muay Thai with her mother, who is a world Muay Thai master and her sister and her coach and their whole Tiger Muay Thai team just getting that much fucking better than she already is. Like, she fucking really needs it. But Now, here's the thing, too, though. She started doing movies and shit, so she might pull a Tyrone Woodley or something and get even... Or uh, who else did that? Uh, Ronda Rousey. Yeah. There's all, Yeah, there's always that possibility. I think the difference here, though, is that all those guys that fell off when they started doing movies weren't really complete fighters when they started doing movies. They had just gotten a little bit of notoriety, whereas Valentina has been literally a world-class, world champion in multiple different martial arts for her entire life, and at this point is now also starting to do some movies. I think that might be just a little bit of the difference in there, though. But that brings us to the big ass tomahawk steak that is this meat and potatoes section of the meat and potatoes segment in the meat and potatoes portion of my show <sighs> I don't know it's fucking weird John Bones Jones versus Dominic Reyes this very very I think it's fitting that they put these two title fights together because when both of these fights were announced Myself and a lot of the more hardcore fans heard this and instantly went, another title fight? Wait, what? Neither one of these fights in the grand scheme of things in their division really make a whole lot of sense. But in both of these fights, you can't really deny that the challenger coming up has beat who they need to beat to get to a legitimate title shot. Not saying that neither one of these title shots are legitimate. I'm saying the matchups of the title shot is illegitimate to me. We've got a woman in Valentina who is quite literally, in my opinion, going to rule that women's 125 division until she decides otherwise. And in John Jones, coked out stripper loving car crasher though he may be, he really is the best thing that we have seen at 205 in a long time. The problem for me comes in, John Jones is what some of us refer to as a tweener. He's not quite a true heavyweight, but he's not quite a light heavyweight either. John Jones walks around about 235 pounds. Realistically, he could have himself a couple of healthy fucking dinners and be a legitimate heavyweight with no issue and no weight cut at all. But John Jones, as we've learned, enjoys 
cutting that little bit of weight to fight at 205, making a career out of beating up 185 pounders moving up to 205 here. John Jones is a tweener who has basically made his name beating up the next class downs tweeners. Now, because, like I said in the chat, I don't like to waste my advocate time on anything but lettuce. I prefer to be the devil's avocado. In this situation here, I'm going to go for the lesser of the two evils here. Not that I believe this is how it's going to go, but what I think should happen for the world of the MMA gods to smile down in fairness so that we have balance as in all things. What we need to see, not what we are going to see or what we might see, what we need to see is what Dominic Reyes has been saying for the last uh, about two weeks, a month or so, that John Jones is just a man. John Jones is hittable. John Jones is takedownable. John Jones is submittable. John Jones is not a superhero. Much he might have looked that way against a lot of these smaller tweeners that he's been fighting. John Jones is not a superhero. He is not a god, even though he realistically is undeniably in the conversation for the pound-for-pound greatest MMA fighter we have ever seen. Like I said, it comes back to that tweener status here and in this situation we have got a gentleman in Dominic Reyes who has had that athletic mindset that athletic work ethic that athletic style his entire life as well we know that John Jones grew up with a bunch of brothers who several of them now play in the uh, NFL Dominic Reyes was a football player for his early years into his high school and college, and I believe was pro for just a little while and then was released, much like several other UFC fighters we have seen as well. I think this is one of those situations where Dominic Reyes isn't really coming into this with an ego. He isn't coming into this thinking that he's the next big world breaker. He's coming into this looking at it as John Jones is a man, and I'm a man. He's a fighter, and I'm a fighter, and I'm pretty fucking good too. I'm fighting for the belt. I can show the world that he's just a man, and if I can show the world that he's just a man, I can take that fucking belt from him, and I can be the champion. And I think what we need to see is Dominic Reyes being able to do that. And I think there are a couple ways that he can do that. Realistically, John Jones, with the exception of Tiago Santos, has never fought someone with as much straight-up raw striking power and precision as we have in Dom Reyes here. Now... The caveat to that is Tiago Santos. The problem is Tiago Santos, being much more of a more powerful and more accurate striker, had the leg blowout right out the right out of the gate, so that throws his whole striking off to begin with. So even though he is the better striker, he didn't have his striking ability in his fight against Jones. That's not what we're looking at here. I think what we're going to see this weekend is going to be a lot more reminiscent of what we would have gotten in John Jones versus Tiago Santos if Tiago's knee would not have been fucked up because the striking styles of these two gentlemen are both very, very similar and the power levels are very similar. So aside from the power levels, Dominic Reyes also has great wrestling as well. He's also very agile for a big dude. So John Jones's quickness and his creativity is going to be a factor here, but not as much as it may have been in some of his other fights. I don't think it's how it's going to play out. But what we need 
to play out. And what I would like to see play out is Dominic Reyes in the third, late, early fourth, catch John getting cocky and just land one square right. That's all it would take. I don't think that's what we're going to see. I don't anticipate seeing it. But if that's how it's going to go, that's how I think it would go. I think John's going to fuck him up, but that's my devil's avocado. Well, at least you got your avocado out and you're good. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, then I don't have to do that here, which is fucking fantastic. I, I, thought I really didn't want to have to do it twice in one time. I like, thought you'd appreciate yeah. a break. <laughs> yeah. it, it's hard to do in situations like this. I know what's going to happen. But I also know what could happen. Yes. Dominic Reyes, he's obviously earned his shot. Hats off to him. Has he earned it dominantly? Not quite as much as I think. I mean, there's other fights he could have taken before fighting Jones. And to be honest, I wish they would have made him fight another one because because he ranked like number four right now or something. Yeah, he could have fought number two or something like that because, of course, he's not going to fight Santos because Santos' fucking knee is still in recovery mode. Don't get me wrong. I've seen some of his videos where he looks like he's making really good progress, but bad as he blew that motherfucker out, we're probably not going to see him until the end of the year. Yeah, if that. If, if that. It'll probably be beginning of next year. Like It's probably going to end up being a year layoff, which sucks because Santos is a fucking killer. Yeah. But... Uh, Briz, I don't think, I don't, I don't see the comparison with him here in Jones. The only comparison I see here is he's just about as tall as Jones, but he gives up a fucking seven inch reach disadvantage. Seven inches he's giving up to Jones. Granted, there's not anybody in the 205 division that fucking has the reach that Jones has. He has one of the longest reaches in the UFC. And that's a scary prospect when you're giving up seven inches. And, yeah. But I, what I think is going to end up happening is we're going to see Johns get crafty. And he's going to come up with some shit and catch them from some strange angles that Reyes is not used to seeing. Because, look, Johns throws some shit from some weird angles. He likes to throw elbows that people don't see coming. Fuck, you've seen him do the fucking uppercut elbows before people don't see that shit or you'll see him with those step in elbows where he's throwing from a fucking side and he likes those oblique kicks to the fucking knees yeah he does and that's not something reyes has had to deal with before don't get me wrong i know reyes can fucking grapple but i don't think he's at the same level of grappling as fucking jones is. and if he, even if he catches jones We've seen Jones in fucking hot water before where he's had to overcome some adversity and he manages just fine. We've seen him get rocked hard. I mean, well, he barely beat fucking Gustafson in that first fight because he got fucking rocked, but he managed to come back. So I don't think that's going to make a huge bit of difference here. I think Jones gets it done and I don't think it makes it out of the third round. Oh, well. <sighs> well, I don't have a piece of paper here with me. Hold your paper up. Caveat to that statement. That depends on whether John Jones wants to play with his food again. Because he has had a tendency to do that a lot lately, which makes for some fucking terrible fights. 
well, not terrible fights, but terrible in the sense of things he could have finished. Because uh, there's been plenty of fights that we've seen in his last couple of fights where he could have obviously finished somebody, but chose, no, I just want to prove that I'm better at them than their own game. No, fuck you. Go in there and do your job, Johns. Finish the motherfucker and be done with it. But I think third round, he can finish him with inside of three. I, I don't see this going to championship rounds unless John Jones decides to play with his food. Yeah, I'm going all out, Dominic Reyes. Um, all out. Who the fuck is this guy? Yeah, I'm going to tell you why. He's definitely very smart. That's I don't even think that's even questionable. He's smart as fuck. And we there ain't a lot of tape on him. He hasn't been in long fights. I think John Jones is in a part of his career where he's doing the Tyrone Woodley thing where he could probably absolutely destroy Dominic Reyes, but he's been playing it safe. He's been, you got to beat me to get the championship. I don't have to beat you. I just got to outpoint you. I could stay away from the danger. And that I think that's what, and I think Dominic Reyes is smart enough to pick up on that. I think that um, there was a time where John Jones is definitely still creative. But there was a time where it was more creative. But most of the stuff you see in his last couple fights, you see them this. You're going to see them this fight. Them elbows ain't nothing new. The oblique kicks ain't nothing new. It's just I think that Dominic Reyes may be smart enough, and somebody's going to beat John Jones soon. I know. I know somebody's going to soon. I don't buy into the fact that he's never going to be beaten because of his last fight, really. Yeah. And. I think that even if Dominic Reyes doesn't win because of uh, because of points, as long as he doesn't get his legs broken like Santos did, he's probably going to get a rematch. Because if Santos didn't get his if his knees didn't blow out, he probably would have had that rematch instead of Reyes coming up. Um, John Jones is awesome, but he um, I think there is something to say about him being clean. And him uh, not playing like, not having the dangerous lifestyle, I think that does play into the fighting thing. I really do. I think that, you know, the wild card and, and stuff like that, like him opening up fights with fucking flying fucking kicks and shit, I think that's the crawling on the ground to the middle of the cage. I think that's all part of that lifestyle. And I think him maturing changes that. Um, plus, I just hope. I, I just I'd like to see that division get shaken up a bit, and I kind of like Dominic Reyes to do it. And he's just a big boy and oh, a superior athlete. He's just a fucking. He's just. I just think he. John Jones. The only way he's gonna lose is to get knocked out. Right. He ain't nobody gonna out wrestle him. Ain't nobody gonna out strike him. Ain't nobody gonna out point him. He's got to get knocked out. And the only person in that division that there's like I mean Santos I guess could do it. And Dominic Reyes is probably top of that list. So if somebody's got to do it, it's got to be him. You know, you made one other good point there that just popped into my head. And there was a great man that says, it's hard to get out of bed and train when you're waking up and tilt with your pajamas. Because you know what? Uh, he's been having those set pajamas on for a long time, even when he's been fucking up and doing dumb shit as a human being. But... He's been wearing them silk pajamas for a long fucking time. So uh, it, it, it could happen. Do I think so? 
No, not from the way that I see his training videos. At least the snippets that we see into it. He's, he's not taking it off. I, I just don't foresee him letting the gas down. But, you know, playing with your food can get you caught. And sometimes that fucking mouse is going to bite the cat's tongue. That's all I'm saying. Right. And well, and Nick makes a real good point here in that we've seen Jones not just in title fights, but in the UFC more than enough times to where John doesn't surprise us with anything more. I'm willing to bet $10 right here and now to anyone watching this that John Jones is going to throw a spinning elbow. Mm-hmm. I'll bet any fucking one of you $10 right now at some point in that fucking fight, he throws a spinning elbow. Oh, he's at some point. Him. Yeah. At some point he's going to throw a step in elbow. He's going to step in and throw it like a punch. He's going to throw an oblique kick. We, he makes a, Nick makes a very valid point. All of John's best moves, we've seen time and time again, and we've seen them enough times where we know his setups for them as well. We also know that Dominic has a great fucking corner behind him, and they're not taking this lightly at all, so they absolutely will have trained this. And if you watched the Embedded series this week, you saw that Dominic Reyes has spent time literally in his living room by himself riding the stationary bike just watching John Jones fights, looking for ticks and looking for tells all by himself, even without his corner. So you know they're, they've done the research and we know what to look for. That absolutely, I feel, gives Reyes an advantage here. Yeah, that... Um, Reyes is super confident, too. He he believes in himself, and that's huge. Yep. That That's just... that's Because most of the fights you see in John Jones, the people are defeated before the fight even starts. Yeah, yeah he's got it's them just, broken before they get there. Yeah, and th- that's because of the whole world... But the best thing that could happen for John Jones's um, uh, public figure, like public, uh, uh, how people see him, is, is a loss and coming back. It's just a loss, not even coming back to win. But he will. But right, um, a loss would do him wonders. It, it would be it would be so good for his career with uh, how people would look at him. Right. I mean, of course, winning all the time would too. <laughs> right. Well, you also got to look at it this way. He is. Aside from everything else, John Jones, to compare him to the other gentleman that I feel is his uh, opponent in the pound-for-pound great competition, he's getting to that Demetrius Johnson level of title defenses where who are you really going to fucking put up against him now? Who really is on that same level as him in that division? There's going to come a point where as good as he is, as good as he's been, somebody's going to slide some points past him and make it five rounds and take that fucking belt away from him. We never thought fucking DJ was going to ever fucking lose. And anybody who watched that fight, there's no competent individual I've had a conversation with that watched Henry Cejudo versus Demetrius Johnson's rematch and thought that Henry beat DJ. It didn't fucking happen. But that's how the judges saw it, and sometimes that's all it fucking takes. Somebody to go five rounds with you and make it to the end standing there next to you and realistically, knowing everything John is going to try, if Reyes has got the gas tank and the ability to dodge all the crazy shit we know John's going to throw and stand up at the end side by side with an equally looking undamaged face and a fucking hand in the air, it might be because he's getting the belt wrapped around his waist. That could be. And the we got to remember, Jones has legitimately not lost. He has a technically a loss on his record, That's but it wasn't a loss. Point. So, to be honest, this fight is a fight of undefeateds for a belt. 
which that in its own right is fucking fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. We also remember both of these guys never lost, so they've never actually tasted defeat. In the sense of you got your ass whooped or you tapped out or you were outpointed, neither one of them. They're both coming in here legitimately undefeated when it comes to that. So I think that'll play into it a little bit, but not as much as everybody thinks. They they both have fabulous genetics. I can tell you that, dude. John Jones is hard to knock out though. He you see him take punches that that's so like discouraging to other athletes when somebody's so fucking good at something and then they're also hard to knock out like Kobe Covington's kind of the same way too like there's a lot of them that are like that like uh I mean there's just people that are hard to knock out and then they're really good so you're like when I do get a clean shot on him he doesn't fucking turn the fuck off and then he's just right back at it so that that's another thing about John Jones that's really good is like he's just got a hard head and he's it it seems like he's never phased so I don't know you know well, what, John of, John. Part of that as well, though, <laughs> when have we ever seen John really hit with a legitimate power shot after power shot? We've seen him get clipped a couple times here and there, but John hasn't really fought enough strikers, legitimate strikers, to be actually put in a position where he's compromised, where he's been hit with real bombs enough times in a row to legitimately rock him. And again, Reyes has got that power. He could do it. I think... Again, if Santos's knee would have been good, we would have seen it then. But, you know, that fell how it fell. But I think Reyes has a chance that he might be able to give us one of those moments where we see how John handles really getting rocked. Because Dom's got hands. And if he puts one on you, they're big fucking hands with a lot of power behind them. And it's going to fucking tingle your senses, man. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing to add to all this is um, John Jones, if he if he just goes in with the game plan of taking him down, then John Jones is going to win. But John Jones has been doing this thing where, you know, he wants to beat everybody at their own game and shit. And I just think that's dangerous with yeah, some it guys. It really I think it is. was dangerous with Santos. And if he does it with Dominic Reyes, I think it's going to be dangerous. I agree. I agree 100%. And I, I think this might be one of those situations where he might actually be coming off that false sense of confidence because he got away with doing that to Santos he might have it in his head that he can do that to Reyes and I don't care who you are the only reason he was able to do that to Santos is because that knee was fucked a healthy Santos would not have gone that same fucking way that fight went and I think if John's got it in his head that he's going to do that again to Dom we could see an upset this weekend man we really could It's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But that is all we have for this particular episode here. So, first and foremost, if we gave you some shit to think about, if we gave you some point of views that you didn't have before, if we gave you a laugh in the process of putting this show together, give us a thumbs up. We'd appreciate it. If we really tickled your fancy, subscribe to the show. We're here pretty much every week. If we just blew your fucking mind... Share an episode for us. We're trying to grow this goddamn thing. On the opposite side of that coin, though, if we're just a couple of dipshits sitting around in front of a camera not knowing what the fuck we're actually talking about, give us a thumbs down. I won't dispute it in the least bit because we earned it. But that's what we've got for this evening. So before we get out of here, I do want to take a moment and thank our casual and both of these gentlemen for coming along for the ride here, for talking some shit, for getting a part of the shenanigans with us. So if for some reason... Folks need to know where the best spot 
to see bum fights in Fishtown is. How are they going to be able to get a hold of you, Nick Devine? N.Devine83 on Instagram and YouTube. And yeah, thanks for having me. And it was fun. And next week. Absolutely. Thank you for being here, sir. And now, by some strange coincidence, if folks have not had their fill of Green Bay bitch slapping, and they need just a little bit more to get them through their day, how would they be able to get a hold of you, Mr. Golf Tee? Right fucking here on the YouTubes. I'm here every Thursday night, at least on Thursday nights it can be. Wednesday night on my channel, 9.30 Central Time. And if you're feeling like talking some shit, you can message me on Instagram, on YouTube, whatever. I'll get back to you eventually. <laughs> thank you very much for your time, sir. And thank you to our casual as well for being here. Uh, but most importantly, thank you to everyone who is here. Thank you to everyone who supports. Thank you to everyone who is here in the chat with us live. Thank you to everyone who listens to these. Now that they are available in all audio form over on anchor.fm slash I'm no Joe. I don't blame you for not wanting to see this mug. I have mirrors, so I have to deal with it. But if you don't have to, why the fuck would you? But thank you to everyone who has supported us this far and hold on to your hats folks there is some stuff in the pipeline coming along for 2020 that is just going to blow your socks off we have got new tmis shot and being shot we have got more things in the works for the i'm no joes what did i say is taking off we are getting better and more developed as we go along so thank you to everyone who is along for this ride that is all for this evening we will catch you all on the next one and remember don't let ignorance stop you you can root for anything, unless you still somehow think Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, in which case... Everybody was kung fu fighting, those kids were fast as lightning, in fact it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There were funky China men from funky Chinatown. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was Kung Fu fighting. Look upon your face I always